Hey, everybody. It is Thursday. Welcome to This Week in Startups. We have an awesome show mm. for you today. Sincerely. So good. It's going to be great. It's Thursday. You know what? We're coming down the mountain. We're sliding into the weekend. And we got Miami Debo from CNBC's Tech Check is here. Full contact. Deirdre Bosa is here. And we talk about a wide variety of topics. This is Debo in long form. You don't get her in long form. And she crushed it. Dude, it is absolutely fantastic. We talk about her interview with Sundar Pichai, which she did like in the hour before she came on our show. The crash in the public markets, crypto, free speech and moderating social media. It is a really wide ranging conversation and she can hang. It was great. She's a good hang. And you know what? I really enjoyed uh, when we talked about uh, the tech press and coverage and media and how she prepares for interviews, how you prepare for interviews and how we all look at that uh, and the standoff between the tech press and, you know, the people who are building technology in the world. It is a great, I wouldn't even call it an interview. It's like a round table. It's just, you yeah. know, tossing the ball around, chewing the fat. We got to have her on more. CNBC, look out. Look, look out. out. We're She's good for, on podcast. We're coming for Debo. <laughs> we're coming for Debo. <laughs> going to be a great, going to be a great show. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by LinkedIn Talent Solutions. A business is only as strong as its people and every hire matters. Go to linkedin.com slash twist and get a $50 credit toward your first job post. Cyvitar. Implementing cybersecurity for your startup can feel overwhelming and expensive, but it doesn't have to be that way. Cyvitar is startup friendly, fully managed, all-inclusive cybersecurity subscriptions. Twist listeners get their first two months free at cyvitar.ai slash twist. And swag.com. Swag.com is the best place to buy, customize, and distribute custom gifts and promotional products. They work with some of the best brands like Yeti, The North Face, Ember Mugs, and more. Visit swag.com slash twist and use code twist for 10% off your order. Uh, all right, everybody. So uh, everybody knows uh, Deirdre is uh, the host or co-host of uh, Tech Check, which used to be called Squawk Alley. Uh, at some point, they did a refresh. And it seems like you became the uh, co-host it girl on the show. You, that was like <laughs> your coming out coronation, I, I take it? Or because before that, were you a contributor? How, how did that all go for you? I was a reporter. So reporter. I kind of I focused on certain parts of tech tech broadly, and then really dived in on certain companies now as, you know, co-host of Tech Check, kind of do it all. Got it. And John Reporting Ford, and of course. hosting and producing probably. And yeah, if I, uh, huh, if I know. Giving Jason type. a hard time, mostly. Giving yeah. Jason a hard time. Well, well. I think it's something to discuss here because people were like, whoa, what did you <laughs> here do Deirdre? Like you come on to CNBC and she's just like on you. And I, we had a little on-air thing. We'll throw the clip in here where I was like, hey, Deirdre, if you're going to ask me the question, you got to let me answer. So we had a little, like, little chippy moment, uh, but it was all in good fun. You know, what's very unique about this company in this moment in time is we have a generation, really two, millennials and Gen Z, who are growing up with a level of right, financial but is it, literacy just, that but is Jason, greater than any... Uh, hold on, let me finish, Deirdre. Deirdre, you got to let me finish. Uh, the issue here is this group of people is... I, I do think... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, when you became co-host, I think you did take the approach of, I'm going to be hard-hitting. Was that an intentional thing? Did CNBC say, hey, you know what? We want to be a little more hard-hitting on the show. Maybe people perceive the show as being, you know, a little too, I don't know, cordial? Or is that just something you wanted well, to do? I want, so everything I do, 
comes back to the audience, right? What do they want to hear? And I think that they want to hear answers to the questions that are asked. I try to ask questions with them in mind. What do they want to know? What do they need to know here? So, you know, as you, as you guys both know, Molly and Jason, CEOs speak and CEOs speak. Sometimes they come on with talking points, but you know, I really feel like people can go to the earnings call or they can go to the annual meeting to hear CEOs speak or guests. When they come on Tech Check, I want them to answer a question. And so Jason, all in good fun. And I do too, yeah. because I know that you can take it as well. And I love hearing your point of view also. So I want to get to it. But that is really how I approach interviews is I'm not there to please the guest or the CEO or the analyst, whoever it is. I'm there to get the answer for the audience. And sometimes that can come off as, what did you call me? Full contact. Both yes. <laughs> well, I mean, that is the origin of you coming on the show because I was it's like, a term of yeah, respect Deirdre Bowes from Jason. Debo is a little full contact. And, a term of uh, respect. Little did you know, I played hockey for 20 years. So <gasps> I, know. I don't she's shy like, away from that. She's like, get on center. She, we, we're like having this DM. She's like, get on center ice. I, I played hockey. I was like, I'm not going to center ice with you. Let's <laughs> go. Skating with me. Jason, Molly, what about you? Any any yeah. skating skills or hockey skills or sports? Oh, God, any no, sports? no. Volleyball, though, the spike. Oh, yeah, it's not a it's not an ongoing contact situation for me. It's more a murderous spike right at the end. It's just <laughs> well, since, I, <laughs> since I have two lady journalists here in tech, um, I'm, oh, I'm curious God. for both of you. Um, do two you accomplished get professionals? Oh, okay. two, two extremely accomplished professionals. In fact, I see where you're going. No, I um, do. You feel uh, people maybe uh, either guests or the audience hold you to different standards and. Is that in your mind when you're like, hey, listen, I, you know, I need to bring it at a different level. Maybe I don't get the same credit uh, as, you know, Carl does or Jay Cal does or whatever for both of you, Molly. I like how you ask it as do we feel as opposed to is that the actual reality, <laughs> which it yeah, sure, is. Both. Yeah, sure. Both. Yeah. I mean, is. I, yeah. Yeah. It I is. mean, it's, it is. It people is come reality. on this show. I don't know if you notice people come yeah. on the show and they say, hey, Jason. <laughs> and I'm like, more accomplished person over here, over and here. I'm, Right here, bro. <laughs> Podcasting <laughs> Hall of Fame. <laughs> this is why I'm a huge fan of Molly, too, because she gets straight at it. She doesn't mince words. Um, but absolutely. You should see my Twitter feed, Jason. People are constantly telling me that I'm interrupting or nagging or something, which you never really see the same for a man, Ooh, right? For a woman, word. it sounds shrill when you're asking a hard question or you're labeled aggressive instead of assertive. Um, so there certainly is that double standard. But I think that you just, you have to, what I think I always have to be fair and then I'm okay with it. As long as I think I'm being fair and giving, you know, good questions, not gotcha questions. And I, I'm, I'm willing to take it. So speaking yeah. of which, uh, and CEO speak and trying to puncture CEO <laughs> speak, we were watching you this morning on tech check, do your damnedest with one of the toughest CEOs there is to have a <laughs> fun conversation with Sundar Pichai. I say that with all respect, right? Like, Mad business skills, clearly. Yeah. Um, but a but tough one. Let's be honest. He's CEO, he's CEO Ambien. <laughs> I mean, I, I can say that, but I mean, he really is a hard one to get something out of. Mm -hmm. How do you yeah. approach that? I, I totally agree. He is so calm and collected compared to especially some of the other big tech CEOs. But think about the moment that we are in right now. The markets are going crazy. Apple was down 5% yesterday. It's down again today. Some of the stocks are off 80% their high. So do we need a Sundar Pichai? Yes. This was the perfect, perfect, perfect moment for him to come on. I thought that he portrayed clarity and consistency. And that is exactly what the market needs right now. You know, I felt I was there to cover IO. 
And there were some really interesting announcements in terms of future devices, in terms of artificial intelligence, um, language processing, the really technical stuff that he really cares about. But I think, you know, my job in that situation was to bring his sense of calm to the broader markets. As we sat down, the Nasdaq mm-hmm. just finished down another 3%. So, you know, I had to ask him, what are you doing in this moment? Why or why isn't Alphabet protected? And I think my main takeaway is that there are some companies in this moment who are really going to rise to the occasion. They're going to be able to continue to invest for the long term. And while Alphabet will face its fair share of challenges, they're one of them. Yeah, super interesting answer I thought he had to that sort of broader question of like, what are you going to do in a downturn? Everybody, you know, we've been talking on this show about the lemming effect of layoffs and the contagion of the panic. And Sundar just sat there and looked you in the eye and said, we're going to hire 12,000 people. We're going to invest insane amounts of money into our company, invest into the downturn. Unlike they're going to zag while everybody zigs and loses their head, it seems like. Yeah. Jason, what did you think? I mean, well, I I thought that was like probably the best part of the interview that came out of the interview, uh, because Facebook has a hiring freeze. Yeah. Uh, Uber uh, said, you know, I thought that was, by the way, great scoop on Sunday night. Uh, we talked about it on Monday. The, you know, Dara is very sober. Listen, you know, we people wanted growth, then they want profitability. Now they want free cash flow. No more like EBITDA mulligans or adjusted EBITDA. Let's just just throw them, you know, a bunch of cash, right? Yeah. And so I thought that was particularly interesting and gave me a little hope for the economy that somebody who had been through it, you have to remember Google's been around a while, Facebook hasn't. Uh, so Google's been through the dot-com bust and uh, the Great Recession. Facebook's been through the Great Recession. Great and point. so, you know, he, he's got the scar tissue as an executive, and he's seen this movie before. If you have the cash reserves, the right thing to do would be to take talent off the market uh, and to ignore the stock market, knowing mm-hmm. you have a money-printing machine. If there's any machine that is immune Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, uh, to the to the market swings and gyrations and recessions, it's the money printing machine of Google search. And Google has what 160 billion in cash and cash equivalents, right? Uh-huh. So but, but at yeah. the same time, you know, one thing he said, I was trying to get him to talk about some of the rivals, like, why can you hire 12,000 people when meta has to do a hiring freeze when other companies are going to have to lay off. And he says, we're a diversified business, that is true. And they're shifting. But we do have to remember that Alphabet the majority of its revenue is still advertising, right? And Mm -hmm. advertising can be sort of this canary in the coal mine. We saw that with YouTube. People kind of freaked out last quarter because growth was slower. So it's not that they're immune. It's that they're most immune and... Resilient. Had a good... Yeah, exactly. He's more resilient. resilient. And that cloud business, though, to your point, that cloud business still is playing a distant third, right? Yeah. But behind Microsoft and, and and Amazon and is not yet profitable. Is that right? That's right. They're losing about a billion dollars a quarter, but right, a billion dollars a quarter, it's like pocket change for that. <laughs> Especially when this is sort of <laughs> what a, a world. secular strategy. Like the pie is going to increase. Google will get there. Um, they'll be a player. They already are a player versus questions around some of the other smaller guys. So you know, and I ask Ruth Porat, the CFO, about that almost every time I talk to her. You're still losing money. What does that mean? Really doesn't mean anything to them because it's only yeah. a billion dollars. Yeah. Ah, spring is in the air, people. And there has never been a better time to grow your business. And LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easy to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. We love LinkedIn here at Launch and at Insight. We've hired so many amazing candidates on LinkedIn. 
And you know what? People take it seriously. If you're posting a job on LinkedIn, people know you're serious. They know it's a great job. And that's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can create a free job listing in just minutes. And you'll reach the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Every time I read this ad, it goes up another 10, 20 million people. It's incredible. They're going to be at a billion people soon. And now you can add that purple hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile. Did you ever see that where it says hiring and it's in purple? Well, you want to have that on your profile so people know you're hiring. So here's your call to action. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find candidates you want to talk to and they help you do it faster. Did you know that every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Yeah, they do. And you can post your job for free. That's linkedin.com slash twist to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply because they're giving you something for free. Well, I mean, and this is the challenge, I think, of what you do every day versus what we do every day, right? Like, we're talking about private markets. We've got this luxury of, hey, a 10-year arc. And then when you're a public company, you have analysts, you have a daily or a five-day-a-week check-in on your stock for whatever number of hours. Um, and, and it just changes how you have to communicate. One of the great features of the private market right now is I'm not pulling up a portfolio of 300 private companies and crying. I mean, I pull up my portfolio of not. 12 public companies and I'm like, ah, uh. but I'm not. We invest when companies are worth five to $25 million, generally speaking, that's our sweet spot. It, you know, you can't really lose. Uh, when you're investing that early in a company, because one, you know, company makes up for a lot. Now, if you're a Sundar, you've got to communicate to the market when everybody's panicking and scared. You have to have a lot of fortitude. I think Bezos had that where he's like, listen, you guys can say whatever you want. The stock price can go wherever it wants. This is what we're doing. We are building for scale. We want to grow. And and people didn't believe him for a long time. Um, and I think Sundar has now got that moment where I think he should just ignore the markets and ignore the stock price and maybe lose $10 billion a year instead of 4 billion on the cloud computing because if you're a bronze what's silver worth and yeah. we know what gold is worth i mean mm-hmm. the, the amazon web services business is tremendous yeah. you did you did dive into um the the elon situation and free speech i thought this was one that you could have gone an hour with him i guess they gave yeah. you 20 minutes or 30 minutes what did 15. they give you 15 it's ridiculous see so this is oh, I, know. I hate I know. that that's, that's not lame cool. i would have yeah see this is where your producers uh. and like cnbc has to say listen if you're going you need to sit with us for 45 minutes if you don't sit with us for 45 minutes then we're going to tell your story through your competitors like somebody some producers got to be like you know a little more hardcore okay well let me play the other side of this i i especially with senator pachai i would have loved an hour five hours with him for sure i would have even just like 15 more minutes to talk about the really interesting stuff they Mm -hmm. announced at io we had to get right to the point you know like i just met sundar for the first time and i was like i know Mm -hmm. you don't want to talk about your stock price but this is what our audience cares about right now. So we sure. got to get into it. Um, I will also say, though, that I've done a 10 minute interview with the Canadian prime minister and got a lot across. So you mm. do it. There's such so much preparation put into 10 or 15 minutes with that in mind that it's never going to be enough time. And that, mm. I guess, would be like one of the biggest challenges about doing TV versus mm-hmm. new writing. Live TV. Love to do longer form. But at CNBC, you know what you're getting, you're getting in, you're getting out, and you're not doing your yeah. job, like I'm not doing my job as the interview if I can't do it in 15 minutes. So yeah. I try, but I will. Yeah, they, What's I mean, frustrating is like, there's so much more you want to do. And then someone will come after you later and be like, I can't believe you didn't ask oh. about this. And you're like, you feel free <laughs> to do yeah. a 15 minute interview with a CEO who operates like 
77 different businesses and you want to ask about at least six of like it barely gives you no I, I think the audience really likes to hear this i think it's great for you to come on and talk about it because it, people are like it's so frustrating that you can't ask the follow-up question about um you know specific instances of uh freedom of speech and censorship you know uh, an issue there which molly's made some very good points about like you know is it is it really censorship or is this just like a, a private company but i thought that what came out of that was very interesting is that Google has one worldview when it comes to search. The law. Mm. If it's illegal, let us know, but we are indexing the world's information. And that was made by Google and uh, that was made by Sergey and Larry's philosophy, right? That's the, if you want to take something down, you know, go to the law and we're going to disclose like what legal letters we get. We're going to have a transparency report. Now you go to something like YouTube, a community site slightly different than a search engine because they're not making the content yeah. there they're you know and um they're hosting it so it's a little bit different and they're monetizing it so they're acting quasi like a publisher right they're they're promoting stuff they're hosting stuff and you know there's a lot of interesting cases there like people do dangerous stunts and they do hidden camera stuff is it illegal uh, in some cases but in most cases no right. should they be hosting that stuff and then having young people you know, as but one example, David Dobrik, you know, doing that crazy jump with his Model X, then some other kid decided to rent a Model S and do the same street jump yep. and crashed his car it could have killed like, you know, a poor family that was walking their dog or something. And I, I've, you know, talked to Susan about this and like, you know, really, you really got to get this under control. So I'm like, Oh, am I for censorship? Yeah, because I'm like, you're a, really more like a broadcaster, like a network discovery, you know, or CNBC wouldn't show that stuff or they would really contextualize it. So I was I was curious what your thoughts were on that well, something that came out of your discussion that they, they do one thing on YouTube and another distinctly different thing on Google search. It is a great point. And you could tell that he spends a lot of time thinking about this. So there was something at the very end. I'm not sure how many people picked up on this. But finally, I asked him about open sourcing a social media platform. Is that the answer? That is mm -hmm. what Elon mm -hmm. Musk and even Jack Dorsey have talked about doing so that yeah. you, the responsibility is no longer on the CEO. You cannot call them a publisher if it's open source because you're letting right. the audience decide. And I asked him, does that help or does it amplify the problems? And he's, he didn't give a lot, but if you read between the lines, which we always have to do, he said, it's interesting and I'm glad that's being discussed. Mm -hmm. um, what CEO wouldn't love that to be discussed, right? Because it takes the responsibility off of their shoulders and the idea of open sourcing, right? You just leave it up to the people who are looking at the content and coding essentially the site, right? Um, so I don't know. I don't know how far that is off. You probably, Jason and Molly, have a better view what of that. What do you think, Molly? You? Well, I think it's really interesting because YouTube for so long has escaped all of this scrutiny, right? And, and YouTube has been uh, employing an algorithm for engagement that has encouraged really dangerous stunts for years. They've had advertiser boycotts over, you know, advertisers who don't want to be put next to terrorist content. And, and somehow YouTube has managed to sort of like walk this line where they take some stuff down. They leave a lot of stuff up. Yeah. And they, they demonetize. They, they demonetize. demonetize. I mean, honestly, yeah. I think in a, in a way it feels to me like YouTube has figured it out the best because they're like, yeah, what we do is we take away your reach and your incentive to yes. make money with this stuff. But that took and a long time and nobody's yeah. yelling at them about free speech. That's totally what Senator Pichai would say. He says sort of the advertiser, the business model works because, as you said, Molly, advertisers don't want to be next to dangerous or controversial content. But 
I don't know. I, I also kind of think that YouTube, Google gets a free pass. How much of that has to do with what we talked about at the very beginning of this conversation? Sundar Pichai is the most calm, collected CEO. Boring. You can uh, say when boring, he Congress, I'll say it. <laughs> they, they go to Congress. Everyone wants to jump on Jack Dorsey, Bezos, even Tim Cook. And, you know, you feel kind of bad, you know, taking that same tone with Senator Pichai because he's such an intellectual, such a technologist that mm -hmm. I, I just, do you think that's fair? Do you think they're kind of under the radar? I do a little bit. Well, I think they have done, yeah, to be clear, like I've done many, many interviews with scholars who are like, here is exactly how people get radicalized via YouTube, right? Mm -hmm. You, I mean, my, I watch, I sit over my son's shoulder. Like my son is 15 years old. He is into like music and cars and it takes five to seven minutes flat before it's like, would you like to see this video about how much women suck? Like, wow, it's the, not that the, women suck. The Marty, recommendations. Jordan Peterson, you know, Jordan Peterson, it's, there's a, a, a generation of men who don't know how to interact with women. And, you know, I am. It's not their for fault. Them. Wow. That's my, that's my Jordan Peterson. Thank you. I your questions were so good, Jason. Amazing. I am here more often. So meta. <laughs> Here's a problem a lot of startups face. They need cybersecurity, but they don't have the staff to implement it or manage it. So. If your startup is overwhelmed with thousands of different services and you're looking for a simple and cost-effective starting point, well, Cyvitar makes cybersecurity effortless for startups and SMBs. They have all-inclusive subscriptions that you can cancel at any time and solutions for your businesses so you can close more deals, get compliant faster, and gain customer trust. And they are a preventative service, not a reactionary one. Cyvitar offers all-inclusive, fully managed cybersecurity as a service, a free platform to analyze and report on your cybersecurity, a member experience team that ensures your satisfaction, and flexible payment plans that you can cancel at any time because they're confident you're going to get great, great service and value out of Cyvitar. And they're going to get you up and running in less than 60 days. So you can use Cyvitar's premium version right now at no cost. But if you want to upgrade, you can get the first two months free at Cyvitar.ai slash twist. That's C-Y-V-A-T-A-R dot A-I slash twist for two months free. So meta. It is, mm -hmm. you know, the, the algorithm, I think, is a big part of this. Um, I, I do think that there is something that Larry and Sergey did very specifically. They fired themselves. This was a, a strategic, I, I know this, um, because I know them. They did something very strategic. They put themselves as chairman, you know, board members, yeah. they don't go to the office. And they're like, I can't get dragged to Washington or in front of, you know, whoever in parliament and whatever European country EU, because I don't work there. I am a shareholder. If you drag me up there, I'm going to say I don't know, because I have not been to the office, my key card doesn't work. Like they literally can take that kind of position. And you know what? It's a true position. They don't know. They've delegated. Is that calculated? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. They do not want to get dragged there. It's much easier to go for a walk with Sundar and say, this is what we want. And who does Sundar serve at the behest of? The board. Who controls the board? Larry and Sergey. But then so, and Sundar, Sundar is like, I'm the CEO of Alphabet. I don't know. And Susan Wojcicki never gets called to Congress. I mean, it just she will. is fascinating. She will. Yeah. I mean, she will. I mean, I think that was in a way why they made her CEO was so that you could bifurcate these two things. I, I know this sounds like a crazy conspiracy or chessboard, but it is a chessboard. And, and you do chess. have to think these things through. 
I think the it's thing that strategy. Uh, it's corporate strategy. It's, 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 it's really, yeah. really good corporate mm-hmm. strategy. I mean, this is where Zuck, I always thought that the right move for Zuck was to make himself executive chairperson uh, and then put uh, Cheryl in charge of Facebook and that collection and then put some wonky person in charge of Meta. And then he could pull strings from, you know, his kite board in, you know, Kauai or where, wherever he is on Lake Tahoe, you know, um, because you know, that surfing. guy needs to stop talking. He well, needs to stop. I mean, it's, it, it is it is challenging. And there are other talk people about, are full- talking about CEO interviews. When is the last yeah. time Zuck sat down with a journalist? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, he will. I mean, he's he's got a very he's he's taken a much smarter route uh, and perhaps sinister. But you think um, that's smarter? It, it, well, going on Lex Friedman and Tim Ferriss and Joe. And I don't know if he did Joe Rogan, but he did Lex Friedman. And did he do Tim Ferriss? I think he did. You know, like those folks are so excited about the access. You know, I mean, this is one of the critiques of Kara yeah. Swisher um, is access journalism. Uh, and I don't know that it's uh, fair exactly. But if you run a conference that costs seven or eight thousand dollars and you need to get Elon or in back in the day, Steve Jobs, maybe you don't want to totally piss them off and lose access to them but you have power and so there's this very delicate balance of man if i lose steve jobs or bill gates you know and i'm you know what does kara swisher make and walt when they were doing that event a million or two million dollars each probably uh and so that's like a real business and if you get big all-stars there well it prints money trust me i'm in that business i know those, those businesses won't last right because you're not getting like true answers true content you're not doing it for the right mm-hmm. reasons molly i'm interested in your experience no no they will last they have they will and they have you don't well, need to ha- you don't need to get the answers you just need to get the star you just need the access but molly well, i wonder like yeah mm-hmm. from your experience as a journalist i do find that if you ask tough questions but they're fair mm-hmm. um ceos and guests will come back they'll kind of they may not love the question, but they appreciate it, you know, and I think in the end, it makes them look good, but it makes them look more credible if they can yeah. sit there and be asked it. So it took me, I would say, like a long time to figure that out. Jason, especially when you called me, you know, full contact Boza, right? Some yeah. people don't want to be You're interviewed. Like, I'm still working on it, man. <laughs> but I will say like the best people do want that kind of interview because it helps yeah, their exactly. credibility in the long run. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think yeah, and you the audience feels that they can respect you both in a scenario like that. You it's can tell. And I, I don't like, I don't think it is good for a journalist in the long term to sort of say like, yeah, it's cool. I'll have Mark Zuckerberg on and I will agree to only talk about the metaverse. Yeah. When it's in the middle of the whistleblower scandal. Yeah. Right? So like, that's not good for either of them. Like it says, uh, Mark Zuckerberg is afraid to talk about the real stuff. And this journalist agreed to this like, dirty little deal where they're like, I'll just talk about the stuff that they want to make money on in the future and ignore everything else. Everybody loses. And let, let me give you an example of that where I turned down an interview. Actually, I still, you know, wish I had got it, but we could I couldn't compromise. Um, Jack Dorsey a few years ago, granted us an interview on Square. And the condition was no questions on Twitter, right. not a mm. single one. I said, you wow. know, I'm, I'm genuinely no more interested in Square than Twitter. But you, you know, I can't not ask a question. I can't do my job. And so we never did it. And that was the yeah. last time I was offered that interview. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, people don't know this, but it, it is definitely, it comes into the calculus. And so I think, you know, if you're running events uh, and it is, you know, it is a business, right? Like, so if you are a journalist, that's one thing, but if you're the business owner and so it does change. So the business owner is going to think differently. And I think, you know, if you, again, to Kara Swisher, she's a business owner. 
like she is a freelancer for the new york times she owns the yeah. event business mm -hmm. she gets a percentage of the you know profits of it so that would be slightly different right and, and you do have a a, a little bit of calculus and then some people are just like you know what i'm going to opt out and just go direct so i'm curious how the go direct movement or what you think of that uh because i don't know if it's an or but i do know uh, you know, with the reach we have, as one example, we have the All In Summit this uh, Monday, yeah. Tuesday, it's Monday and Tuesday, all the press wanted to come and a lot of the speakers were like, eh, you know, I don't know if I can be as honest and whatever. I was like, well, you know, we have more reach than any tech podcast or most, yeah. any business or tech podcast. So we hit 26 in the rankings last week. This show is number five, six, seven in the rankings in tech. Yeah. So we don't need press there. So it's like, you know, let's just try releasing to the feed and the press can just get it all at the same time, but no press at the event. And Dude so like, what it's good to know. I'll be like, <laughs> well, it was just also a fair thing because the thing is sold out and then, you know, a hundred press and 50 of them super credible and 50 of them, maybe less, um, want to go. And it's just, there's not room. And it also makes the speakers less honest. So I, I just made, right. I didn't make, it wasn't my call to make. It was kind of a vote less by besties. Honest. See, that is a problem that you just said that Jason. Yeah. less honest i but they're not held accountable okay mm -hmm. well no, we're gonna ask hard questions you know that i mean I, but okay I, well, do i don't we? know what your business model is based on you are climbing the and let me first say that i love your podcast both of them you're doing such a wonderful job of going direct i like to hear these long form uh conversations where you know traditional media may not necessarily have the space or time for because that business model is different um but let me give you the example of a coinbase okay Brian Armstrong made this big thing um, when he was building the company. He doesn't want to talk to mainstream or traditional media because he doesn't think that he can. they're going to tell his story. So he went out and told it himself. Now, Coinbase is in a world of pain, right? Yeah. We've seen that stock price decline, decline. They're getting looped in with all the other crypto companies. Maybe they're the Google of crypto. I, I don't know. Maybe they're held to a better standard. But no one really knows that. Like our right. audience doesn't know because he never talks to us. Where's he getting that credibility? I think over the long run, you need to build a relationship with media, the media that you trust. No one wants a gotcha interview, but that's like what I spend all my time doing is getting to know our guests, our CEOs, so that they know they're going to get a fair shake. And that helps them in the long term, right? Like, like if Brian Armstrong could say, listen, I want to come on CNBC to just tell my story, tell why we're different. Than some of the other crypto companies, why Bitcoin's implosion or the stablecoin implosion isn't going to sink us, but he hasn't built that relationship. So mm. does he have the same credibility? And it's very short sighted. And to you, Jason, I would say you should be held accountable for the all in mm. summit. Why not? Just why not? Why not? A CNBC? Well, we, it's going to be accountable because we're going to release all the files. I mean, people will be able to listen to them. So but, but how does your audience after. know that the right questions are being asked? I mean, right. Like, well, I mean, it, would it be number 26 in the rankings if we weren't asking the right questions, I guess would be the way yeah, I would I say it. Yeah, definitely would be because everybody loves a over $100 billion, but that doesn't mean it's yeah. worth that today. I'm saying if you want. No, I mean, we, it, it, Brian Armstrong's a good case because we had him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and I asked him very tough questions about Tether and, yep, you know, you we asked him. Yeah, so we asked him pretty tough questions. I think there's something going on in media, you know, and listen, we're all tech journalists um, and maybe Molly and I a little bit longer than you, Deirdre. We, we were part of the very campy, cordial uh, moment where in the, in the early 2000s, and certainly in the 90s when I started coming up and watching Esther Dyson and some of those folks, and I think, Molly, you caught some of this too, it was almost like the press and the tech industry and the venture capitalists were all 
on the same team. It was mm-hmm. very, very cordial, and it was all just very geeky. Then as tech become, became more prominent, you know, there was some, like more fallout. And obviously, I think Facebook and Uber and that like really con- uh, contentious time period where companies were behaving badly or the impact was really huge. I think it, it's kind of made a lot of tech leaders say, yeah, I'll go direct. Eh, I'll opt out, which is kind of sad for me because I was a former journalist. I don't know what you think, Molly, about this standoff, because I think yeah. that's what we're dancing around here is. Yeah. Some folks are just like, I just don't want to deal with the press anymore. I don't feel like they're treating me fairly, link baiting headlines, whatever. And then they're like, and I can go direct. So I'll just go direct. What do you think, yeah. Molly, about I mean, this? I, I, I agree. Know. I think we are in a standoff and it's a standoff that occurred because there was increased scrutiny, right? There was an increase in uh, questions about accountability and business model and the dot-com crash wiped out a lot of portfolios. And all of a sudden yeah. people were like, wait, this is an industry that can do real damage. We should start asking more questions. Privacy was becoming a bigger, bigger deal. Yeah. So when you have a response on the tech side, on the mm. business side to say, okay, our our strategy then is like, we don't like this. So we're going to say less. And I think Uber, you know, respectfully, like, kicked off that vibe yeah. among these big tech companies. What happens is then the narrative about the tech store to companies gets more and more and more distorted because none of them mm. are out there telling journalists the truth. And then as a or result, just talking to them, just talking. Exactly. They're not yeah. talking to them. They have I no mean, relationship. When's, when's the last time you saw a Travis interview? And so we're left to exactly. what do people even know about what do people even know about cloud he's kitchens? He's not just a ghost kitchen. He's a ghost. Yeah, basically, like, <laughs> he opted out completely. And as a result, though, the only way for journalists to construct a narrative about businesses that have a massive impact on the world—that is why yeah. we are doing yeah. this work. Uh, yeah. I just reverted to the we, <laughs> yeah. because is is from like what they say on Twitter, right, or whatever clues we can get. And so it's like, look, in the absence of any other information. Mm-hmm. I just have to go on what I see. Mm. And then this tech CEO is like, that's totally inaccurate and unfair. And it's like, well, f- t- then tell me. Yeah. Right. And so with the tech, I mean, Deirdre, I'm interested in your, your position on this as like, you got to experience, like, I think, and I'm not sure when you started as a reporter, but uh, I would perceive it like, you know, in the 2010 time period. Am I right? I was in Asia. Well, I, that's a whole nother story. But I started uh, as a journalist in China, where access yeah. is very different. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Be careful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's better to be in America at this point. Wow. But, I mean, You've been followed by way worse people than Emil. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. I have been uh, through it. In yeah. China. I mean, actually, when I came to San Francisco, that was the point where I was like, whoa, why isn't anybody talking to me? I came here hmm. 2016 hmm. as Uber was imploding. Nobody yeah. would talk to me. Right. They said, you could be tech reporter. And so I came here and I'm like, I'm ready. I'm ready to be the tech reporter, except yeah. that nobody will talk to me, um, <laughs> yeah. which was good because you build your reputation. And it took me so many years, right? You asked me, you're kind of like, what were you doing before you were anchor of tech check? I was building those relationships and yeah. building that reputation that when you come on and talk to me, I'm not looking for a headline. I'm looking to tell your story in a nuanced yeah. way over the long term, because you are either a public company or you're going to be a public company. So you need someone who understands this to mm-hmm. Molly's point, who will understand your narrative so that investors are huge audience will believe you. If you mm-hmm. go direct, people know that they're being fed something, even if they don't know what it is. Right. They know that there's some other incentive at work, I think. If you like delighting customers and employees with amazing swag, well, then swag.com is the place for you. It's the best place to buy, customize, and distribute custom gifts and promotional products because swag.com only carries items that people actually want to keep and use. 
They've created a collection of the best products across categories like tech, apparel, drinkware, office supplies, and more. And they offer some of the best brands in the game, like My Yeti, I love that, the North Face, My Ember Mug. It's the perfect way to welcome new employees or reward your loyal customers. And here's the fun part. We're going to create a really dope twist swag bag and send it to our listeners and repeat guests. And we need your help. We are looking for awesome submissions for our twist swag bag. Go to swag.com and pick out the coolest items you think we should include in our twist bag. Then email producers at thisweekinstartups.com or tag us on Twitter and we'll announce the swag bag next time. And we'll enter you in a contest to win one of the swag bags. So you get to help us build it. And hey, you might win one of those amazing swag bags. So visit swag.com slash twist and use the code twist for 10% off your next order. I'm hoping the balance can come back. I think it is you know, coming back. I will say no, I think it is. You feel mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like we're, we're, we're working through the issue because there was a moment in time where I would, the only calls I got were like bad news calls. And like, especially from the New York times, it was just like, you know, or even CNBC, you know, and I understand it. Um, Cause I'm associated with, with like say an Uber, they were like, come on and talk about Uber. Come on. I'm like, listen, you have me on to talk about something else. You know, I don't want to be the proxy for Uber. And, you know, in fairness to the producers, they were like, okay, let's, let's take these you know, next two hits off from Uber. And let's talk about some other topics, you know, like, because, and yeah. then it, it's when you're, when you're the subject and the only thing you hear is bad news, bad news, bad news, problem, problem, problem. You're like, okay, well, this isn't worth my time. I think that's what a lot of them are like is I would rather but tell my story. Problem? And that's, well, is the problem the question or is the problem Uber? Because I know you and I well, are based yeah. off on this, and I just don't know that there's been really good news on Uber for like as long as I've been here. Right. Well, actually, I think it's pretty great news now. I mean, the focus level has been great and doubling revenue, and like it's trading for one point x times its 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 uh, revenue. So I, I think there, there'll be but another time for that conversation. Be a whole, we could do a whole hour on it. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I think what, at the end of the day, profit. Yeah is a real metric and it's going to be a money printing uh it will be a money printing machine just like uber or just like google or facebook you know and amazon they're just going to turn the dial and if that's what people I, want I it's going to be what amazing. i like about uber yeah. is its transparency they know that they yeah. haven't done a good job in telling the story to the market so yeah. they're being transparent i think that dara is very good i love a ceo who will come on tv when his stock is down like 20 percent Shows a lot yeah, he's of great, great communicator. Yeah. The story, though, I still have not bought in. I do well, not. The, the goalposts changed. Too. I, yeah. Well, I mean, time will tell. I think these super apps have proven themselves in in you know uh, super Asia. App, come on. Yeah. Well, you know, I, it's interesting. <laughs> I, I, I was using uh, Uber to get to my hotel in Miami here, and then it was like I need to get some you know bottles of water for my hotel room and some food, and then I you know hitting Uber Eats while I'm on the way to my hotel. And so this idea that groceries, food, travel, and then experiences, hotels, you know, and, and if you look at his background, where did he come from? He knows how to book hotels. He knows how to book flights. He knows. And then they got the taxis. So I know, but Apple all you're talking do, about is a business model to book. You're not talking about a business model that's innovative or doing something disruptive. Um, well, I, I think taking out friction and making people's lives easier with this stuff is pretty innovative. Uh, so and having it all like went Expedia. Out. Is that worth a hundred billion dollars? I think it's going to be. Know. It could be worth. I think it could be worth a trillion if you put Expedia with travel with food. Yes, I think it could be a trillion. Argue, company, actually, yeah. I would argue that oh, more than Expedia, he's probably going for WeChat. 
Like, and Uber is nowhere near WeChat yet. Like, no, we nobody is in America. Nobody is anywhere near that level of super yeah. app. And frankly, our regulators might never let them get there. This is a dark horse uh, in the super but app world. But if they could, it'd be amazing. Snap. I oh, actually snap. think Snap is closest to being sure. a super app than any, than I can't really think of anyone else, but really? you've got their own sort of app ecosystem within the app. You can go through different things. So I actually think app is, I mean, Snap is closest, but I'm with you, Molly. Nowhere is even close to a WeChat. You can't like book your doctor's appointment, How, and uh, yeah. do everything. So you're well, supposed to have your whole life in the app if it's really a super app. Yeah, I think if if all of a sudden you woke up one day and you could send money in Uber to another person, you know, you can split bills now. And when you were in a new city, it said, hey, do you want to see a show tonight? And it said, hey, do you want one of these premium reservations like Open Table does? You know, you start to see those things show up and I think you will. But I see uh, what Deirdre's saying, though, about community. That all is still ultimately booking. That's yeah. just sort of like logistics, which you, there's probably yeah. a lot of money and a lot of egg to be taken in logistics. But if, sure if what is, you yeah. can also build is community and chat yeah. and interaction yep. and sharing then your your wechat like maybe if I, uber bought snap I, if, Ooh, I don't know if anybody saw idea. that mm-hmm. well if you or also if you look at what or snap you bought uber or snap <laughs> well, bought uber i think it would have to go your way around right? <laughs> i think twitter is on the way going there if elon gets it i mean you may have seen he wanted to put payments into twitter and you know according to the leaked documents again i have no information um but he did there was this leaked document that said hey um, here is, um, here, what if we had payments, right? And so if Twitter users could send each other money, kind of yeah, neat, right? Oh my gosh, you want to be in the fintech space? I mean, this, this is a space that's just crumbling because so many companies, so much money got into it and they all want to be what you're talking about, the one-stop shop for everything yeah. financial services. And now they're all just getting crushed because they I have know. users. I mean, like even like a SoFi, which has been pretty good at cross-selling. Um, brutal. So I just got it. I I just did a super follow for the first time. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but somebody who I like who's an NBA analyst, um, worldwide Wob. He's just a commenter and he, you know, he's floated around between different people and he had super follow there. And I just saw it on when I was on the flight and I was like, Oh, I love that guy. I want to support him. Oh, 299 a month. I'll just give him 299 a month. So he does more tweets because I appreciate him. So like Patreon being built into you know, Twitter, I, I think Elon might pull that string and it, it could be very interesting. Very, I would love to see Uber buy Twitter. <laughs> that would be pretty great. Um, and you'd have all those accounts, right? And just people being able to at mention, imagine I said, you know, at, at um, you know, D underscore Bosa, you know, $10. Or I said at Amnesty International, $10 hashtag Ukraine. And I That's knew good. that my $10 donation went to the Ukraine fund by Amnesty International. And Amnesty said, just, hey, at mention us and put but why would way. Uber help Twitter do that? When, shouldn't they buy a fintech company like a Venmo or a Square Cash? When you're good at making apps and you have over 100 million or three or 400 million credit cards, whatever it is, sometimes you can just build these things yourself pretty quick. You know, like they built Eats, they built the grocery business, uh, they bought Drizzly. Um, so sometimes you buy something like I think they bought Drizzly for the licenses more than anything, like the regulatory stuff. But I don't know if you've ordered um, alcohol on either GoPuff or uh, Uber. It's a pretty compelling experience as well. And I think they'll get into weed. I, there's well, no doubt in my mind, Uber will deliver, will buy a, a cannabis uh, company and deliver weed as well. I don't know. No how doubt far in my we, mind. I don't know how far we want to go into this, but I use Instacart a lot more, which has a lot of the same things for rides. Love yeah, Instacart too. Uber and yeah. Lyft, but um, they've been able to take so much market share. Uh, we'll see. It's interesting how it, the space, the gig economy space as a whole I'm so curious how this will shake up, especially now with Instacart filing mm-hmm. confidentially. 
Um, for an IPO, what, yeah, what yeah. news today, the, the, actually, uh, which did surprise me, sort of. I mean, I, I guess Instacart was, probably was, needs to IPO now or never. I that is a good point because I think the IPO window could could slam shut during the recession. But the IPO I think window is shut. It I is, already it thought is it was closed. Exactly, yes. I was shocked. Locked shut. What are they thinking? Either they have extremely good financials to show that the market's going to be like, "Wow, you're the best of these gay economy companies." They do have an or interesting a low valuation business, right? Which they already marked down. But mm-hmm. do they also need a lot? I, I think it would be crazy. Some people have said that they just desperately need the cash. I'm not sure I buy that. Because if no. you're going out in this market to find cash, you're going to be very disappointed. It has to be the latter. I think it shows some confidence. Maybe their CFO, right? Nick Gianni from Goldman Sachs, he did the IPOs there. So there's something that he's seeing that's telling him yeah. now might be the moment to go public, which is just crazy to most people looking at the markets yeah, right now. I, and Grindr, Grindr's going to smack. I mean, that's a money printing machine too. Grindr is a recession-proof business in some ways. Like I... Might be counter-cyclical. If you're depressed about, and it's a recession, you might want to hook up more. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah, I don't, I'm don't. i not hearing good rumors about Instacart. I'm not well, sure SPACs, that that S1 is going to... SPACs hmm. don't instill a lot of confidence, but an IPO this point. Too. Hmm. might. So, I think the IPO, yeah. Um, surpri- well, as long as we're talking about the crash, do you have time to talk to us a little bit about crypto? Is this like the go to zero moment? Oh, my goodness. Are you asking me? Uh-huh. Are you allowed I, to have an opinion? Like, or does CNBC say don't have an opinion? Just mm-hmm. report the facts. CNBC, okay. You, and you're like, did someone tell you to be full contact? But no, no one tells me. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, no one tells dear. No, 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 they, they do tell the, the baby in a corner. The New York Times just so. told their reporters get off Twitter and stop having so many opinions, right? So no, I, the, the media I've companies are trying to heard anything like that. But, but for example, yeah. when I come talk to you, I get a clearance and say, okay, can I go on a podcast? Is that okay? And they don't tell me anything what to say. They just see Got if it. it's aligned. Um, and, and I do to, to the our earlier conversation too, going direct. I do love different parts of that. I love that I'm able to come onto your podcast and have a longer conversation that we can't necessarily have. You're good on a pod. You're better on a pod. Yeah. You're better on a pod. CNBC is going to regret this. You're going to start getting some podcast offers. <laughs> Bill Simmons is looking for a tech podcast. I understand. <laughs> Where were, so, so with crypto, um, I've been, what's the word? I'm not, I'm a skeptic, right? Because we, for good reason. There are so many scams yeah. in this place. But do I believe in the underlying technology? Yes, I have made that very clear. I put my son's birthday and Christmas money into Bitcoin and Ether. Don't tell him right now. <laughs> um, but you know, I do believe over the long run, I don't know what it's going to look like. But I do think that this technology is extremely important. So no, I do not think it's going to go to zero. Is it going to look completely different? Uh, good chance of that. Are there a ton of scams in the space? Yes. Jason, you and I have been extremely skeptical Tether. of Tether, the stable coin. <laughs> um, yep. Does that mean the whole system is broken? Uh, maybe right now, but will it always be? No, I, I still believe in the long term. I don't think it's going to zero. Hmm. Speaking of Tether, um, they de-pegged. Uh, I don't know if I like that word. Um, they unpegged. I, they, what's the word here? They missed the I peg. Like, I like de-pegged. I depegged. Okay, like it was supposed to be pegged, and now it's not. Like a choice, they did not choose to depeg. It was depegged by okay, the market. Okay, I like that. Yes, yes, it was not in their control. So they went down. I was like, I was like three in the morning because I was on Pacific Coast time, and I'm here on the East Coast. So I'm like up at three in the morning, and everybody's like, "Hey, Jake, Al, like, you've been waiting for this. It's ninety four cents, and mm-hmm. it, that's like, whoa, that's it has happened, but it's rare. Um, and then they were did some announcement that they were moving stuff from one chain to another. And that's after Luna and um, USDT. 
T- a USDT, no UST, UST, which is Terra as opposed to USDT. UST just collapsed, and Luna collapsed, and we covered that obviously. Lost the peg. Thanks to your audience. Lost the peg. Exactly. Lost the peg. Thank you. Lost the peg. Got smart. Kind of like not. It's like your boat's out there, and it's connected to a mooring, and like you disconnect it. You lost the mooring, and you're you lost are. your anchor. It's kind of like losing the anchor. To depeg the way no. depegged no. it. Let's be clear here. Yes, so it became fish. It became I mean, untethered from the peg. Oh, hello. Ooh. Even more confused. I think what's going on here. I got to be honest. Is I think you know as the tide goes out, and we were talking about like Lake Tahoe and some lakes because of the drought are Lake like. Mead. Lake Mead is going down, Deirdre. And they're like, oh, yeah, we found a body in a barrel from 1980. We can close that case. And the sheriff's yeah. like, yep, happens every time. You know, there's the, going to be more. There's when it, when it recedes, more. we find all the bodies. And, like, you know, that's what's going to happen right but, now. But and if they don't have the reserves and people are redeeming. Well, okay. okay I think there's an important distinction to make here. So yeah. if there's, this is a horrible analogy. If there's a body at the bottom of the lake, that's US, right? That is yeah. going to be yeah. the algorithmic stable coins. Is it going to be Tether and some of the other ones that are backed by commercial paper, even though we may not know what that is? I'm not so certain that Tether is going to go to zero. I mean, we don't know what's backing it. We don't know what kind of commercial paper. But my guess is that as it went from zero to 20 to 60 to $80 billion in market cap, they're probably cleaning up the back end, don't you think? I mean, That was they, my they, thesis. One yeah, like, let's backfill in the... Uh, if it was a scam or a Ponzi, I'm I, you know who knows if it is the 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 um, AG in New York seems to think it is. Canada banned them, so you start having these regulators banning it and having concerns. That's rare. Um, then the CEO and CFO like not doing television. You got one person to come on, but two the founders, them, yeah. two of them, yeah, but the CTO and the CFO, I think, who are weird cats, and they were really nervous when you interviewed them. Congratulations on that, get. Um, but this, the two founders, and the CEO are offshore somewhere and they won't come there at a certain point. You have to look at the cumulative evidence yeah. and say to yourself, this is distinctly different than Jeremy Allaire in the United States being regulated, doing his own proactive, yeah. essentially like showing you the books and saying, we will not hold commercial paper. And they were so squirrely with you when you asked them about Chinese paper. Yeah. And it's like, it's really hard for us as journalists or commentators to say something's a scam. But I can say these six things cumulatively do yeah. not look good. Well, and that's why it's so important for these CEOs to sit down for interviews with journalists because when you have mm-hmm. all of that, seriously, when you have all <laughs> of that smoke and you're trying to sort of like figure out, is this real? Mm-hmm. And then you see an interview. And you see a human interaction in which the human on the other end of the hard questions is like, uh, uh, he was squirming on that interview. I don't know which one was a senior. Like, tell us about that. Now I get it. Tell us how you got it and what your impression was. And then what is your, so how'd you get it? The impression of it, you're like in the moment, because I thought you did a great job, by the way. Um, yeah. And then number three, how do you as a journalist at a prestigious, the most prestigious, uh, you know, <laughs> finance network, how do you balance like, smoke fire you know yeah. all this stuff but you can't come out and be as uh, maybe as candid as i can uh, you have a little bit of a different benchmark i think um so yeah tell us how you i'm very those careful questions. i wouldn't say I, I, okay. I, I try to be candid but i'm very careful because i know what we say on cnbc that's why we don't cover like penny stocks right because you could say mm-hmm. something about them and actually move them so we just have to be really sure. careful people mm-hmm. are trading yeah. on information that we're uncovering or bringing 
with Tether, Jason, it's funny because it actually happened one weekend. You were tweeting about Tether and I was thinking, yeah. what's Jason going on about? Um, mm. <laughs> and I think Which I said happens. something to you, happens, like, yeah. come on CNBC. And I spent the whole weekend, Jason, mm. reading up, talking to people. I was very nervous, actually, ahead of this interview because um, it was a re- it's a really complicated thing. It took me a really long time to understand how like how it even works, what a stablecoin is. I had to talk to so mm. many different people and just go and say, I just don't get this thing. Like, what is it? Um, what is it backed by? Like, how do we not know how many, you know, how much commercial paper could there be in the world that if it's this big, no one knows who they are. So again, once I started asking those questions, it seemed very obvious that like, what is this thing? When I spoke to you, it was funny. I like to, I like to give you some debate, Jason. So yes, we're good at it. Good debate. On, you were like, this thing's a scam. And I said, well, who cares? Who's using yeah. it? You know, crypto native right. that just need it as a tool. And they liked that line of questioning because I kind of stuck up for saying, like, why does it actually matter? It didn't actually. Mm. So they thought that I was, you know, a good person to give an interview to. And I didn't. I didn't try to do anything different. I just went and I said, here's all the questions I have. I'm not trying to get you. I just, can you answer them? And then they weren't answering them. And I said, why aren't you answering these questions? Why did you come on here if you're not going to yeah. answer a question? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. they started to get very uncomfortable. The whole conversation Sweating. was uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I still, I mean, I don't have a, I don't have a bad relationship at all with the Tether people. I welcome them on all the time. I don't think I asked anything that was unfair. I just asked them for information right. that should be really obvious, right? They shouldn't, Ma- they shouldn't yeah. have a tough time. Yesterday, yeah, yesterday, I gave the example of Bethany McLean at Fortune who asked uh, at an Enron shareholder meeting, like, how do you guys make money? <laughs> right? And it was that question that, and the piece that she wrote mm. after where she was like, turns out no one can answer that question that led to the unraveling. Like, mm. it is a uh, 100% our job to ask those fundamentals, like, even up to and including, why is this so complicated? And it's not Does our it job have to, be? to sound smart, right? Sometimes, right. Molly, it's the simplest questions that yes. reveal the most. Yeah. How do you make money? <laughs> How do you make Why money? Why aren't you profitable? <laughs> Can right. you be profitable? Like, these are very basic questions. And I think there is something happening in crypto. But we, Molly and I talked about it on the show just, I, I don't know, it was yesterday or the day before, where if something is so complex that the person who made it can't explain it to you as a journalist, a finance journalist on CNBC, Molly from Marketplace, New York Times and CNET, Jason Galaganis, investor in 300 companies. Like we know what yeah. we're talking about. We're, we're amongst the most in the know people. And you can't explain to us how the algorithmic, cause I had Do Kwan on from Luna and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I took like three shots of like, can you explain this to me? And I couldn't get it. And I'm starting to think, am I an idiot? Right. Is this crypto stuff? And you know what? I said to myself, no, no, this is exactly what happened with the, the default swaps and, and the mortgage uh, backed securities in 2008. They were too complex as a way of um, obscurifying and obscuring mm-hmm. the grift. Mm-hmm. And so I think that when a, when a crypto project is so complex that it can't be explained, I think everybody's alarm bells should go off things in the world are not that complex no. and when they are made to be that complex and the person can't explain them to you i think there that that is a potential sign that something's not right it could be that I, something is super complex 
but generally it's a red flag for me. Can Go I ahead. give a counter argument here though? Sure, please do. Yes, that's there why you're here. There's so much in the crypto world that I can't understand that. Right. And I'm happy to admit that. And what I'm told by some very smart people who I do trust in the industry, like a Sean McGuire at Sequoia, right? He has a pretty good view. And I asked him, I said, people are investing in crypto. They don't understand how the technology behind it works. Does that mean that they shouldn't be investing? Like you look at someone buying a share of Apple, right? They understand demand for iPhones. They understand the product. And he had a good point. He said, think about the internet. When it was being built, you couldn't know the average person didn't understand it. Didn't mean that it was useless or it wasn't a real business. It was, you can't understand all the technology behind it. We still use it. It is still, you know, a big thing today. So it is really hard to figure out when you have to sort of trust in the technology. We're not engineers. Like you said, we're journalists. Um, and, but, but you're also would, right. And those simple questions, you can kind of get to the core. If you can't answer the very simple ones, it's probably. Yeah. I would not. say there's a, there's a difference between the base layer of technology and the mechanism, right? Like, I don't need to understand the code behind the internet. I don't need to understand how TCPIP works. And yeah. I don't need to understand all of the layers. But what I do need someone to be able to say is, it connects computers so you can share information. Right? Yeah. And like, well, I, that was exactly what Kwan, I was going to say, Molly. Yeah. It, yeah. When you talk to Do Kwan, and he can't say, Oh, well, what happens is I invented Luna, I tied it to Terra, as long as Luna has some value, Terra can be worth a dollar. If that goes away, it won't be. Right. If you can't say that, then there's that, this anchor like, thing. What? Right. Well, and then there's this anchor thing where we're loaning, or you're you're giving us some Bitcoin to stake it. What define staking? Oh, and you're giving 19.5% in interest. Who's giving the interest? Where does that money come from? Because that's venture returns, stock market returns, 7%, VCs return 20% every year. How do you, wh who took the loan and, and who's giving that money? And they can't explain it. And- it is complex. You know, Web3 is a collection of like 10 different technologies. You could you could talk about encryption, you could talk about blockchain, mm -hmm. you could talk about distributed technology. Right. There's just so many pieces to it, of course. But Bezos is, doesn't have to explain to you TCPIP and your web browser and, you know, HTML to explain you one click, you buy a book, it comes to your door. And I think a lot of these crypto folks use the technology as a way of obscurifying the grift. And, and we'll see when the tide well, goes out what reality using, is. They're using the enthusiasm, right? I mean, crypto has just right. been this mainstream thing, whereas FOMO. when Terra USD came out, everyone was like, a, a lot of people were like, hold on a second, an algorithmic stablecoin? Like, no, all you need to do is read like Matt Levine's, Matt Levine's uh, newsletter, right? That yeah. breaks it down. Yeah. It was like, in the world, in, a, in, a, in the sphere of scammy things, this is extremely, extremely scammy. But there's other people out there who may not be interested. They just want to get in on this crypto gold rush. Mm -hmm. And those are the people, all three of us, are trying to ask questions for, right? Yeah. Make yeah. it as simple as possible so that they don't buy in. They know that there's different levels of internet companies or crypto companies. Well, no um, one um, wants to be the person who says, including Do Kwan, and this is what's so interesting about crypto in general is, again, there's the underlying technology. And then there's the part that is literally enabled, like you just said so well, by enthusiasm, by community. And so at the heart of that is, if no one believes that Luna is real, oh, it's definitely not. It goes to zero. Hmm. The end. Right. He doesn't want to say that. He doesn't want to have to come on a podcast and yeah. be like, yeah, the truth is Luna only exists because I made it up. And hmm. so as a stake in Terra, it will only work. If you believe me. Yes. 
Like well, money in the real world. Very but risky like thing to say. financial instruments too. Let's be but fair. That yes, is actually how financial thing. instruments work as well. It's if the market believes you, then this will go on forever. I yeah. mean, it's only a Ponzi scheme until they actually create something, right? And yep. Jason, you operate in the startup world. So you know that as well. I mean, you're giving money based on dreams. They have a certain yep. amount of time to achieve that. Yep. This so is the, in fact, they should yeah. just say it. Like it would be more, it would be, would be more much more transparent. Honest yeah. if they just said it, and they were like, "There's, we believe there's enough enthusiasm and excitement, and this community cares, and then we can create a whole new transformative financial tool." But it relies on all of you. Well, Sam Bankman-Fried talks in those terms, and I think that's why he is one of the most credi- credible people in crypto. Um, mm. And a lot of people point, care, and listen to what he says because I do think he's more willing to talk in those terms, more candid, more honest. Yeah. The, the challenge for me with crypto is, you know, if you look at what we what was created in Silicon Valley long before I got here and long before I started investing 12 years ago, 11 years ago, there was this milestone based um, investment um, system. You you convince a couple of angels about your dream, friends and family, they give you 100k, they give you 250k, you build some sort of prototype, you're like, hey, isn't this interesting? Uh, you know, I'm Tony Fidel, here's like a nest kind of thermostat thing I'm building up in Tahoe. Uh, it almost works. And then they give you more money, right? And you get the $2 million check or the million dollar check, then you get the product to market, you get 100 customers, they give you the $20 million check. What is really inspiring, interesting and broken about crypto is they're like, Oh, you have this dream? Great, let's give you $100 million to pursue it. And then let's tell everybody in the world that this is the dream. Here's the white paper. And everybody can participate in it. And you're like, that's breaking securities law. You're knowingly <laughs> doing that. People are not buying this for token for utility. None of them are using it in any utility way. They are all buying it based on pure speculation, hoping it goes to the moon. So you're breaking securities law. Somebody got $100 million and put it in Panama in some foundation that nobody knows the board members of. And when you break the milestone-based system, what you're doing is saying, you know what, we're going to give a 12-year-old the keys to a Mack truck. Like, what the f- do you think is going to happen like you you get your driver's license at 15 or your permit you can drive during the day with a parent next to you you can go within x number of miles of your house like there's all kinds of controls on this and i think there are controls in our economy and securities law for a reason you don't want to have a 12 year old behind a mac truck or flying you know a 747 you know you, you learn you get your license you pilot a small plane you get a bigger plane you go certified you get tested we need regulation here. And I think that's what's going to happen this next year. So much money is going to be lost. So much pain. Terribly, people are going to commit suicide because they lost their fortune. So much suffering is going to happen. That regulator is going to be like, stable coins? You want to make your own currency, which countries do? No. No more of the stable coin nonsense. Hmm. And you got to audit it. And you they can be this audit. size. And you need to have insurance. And you need yeah. to act like a bank. Enough of the Meshuggah play by the rules and i like think Coinbase, that's where the sec is FDIC. failing they have to play by the rules there's a rule set here for a f-ing reason play by the rules okay, everybody but the crypto world i'm sorry jason the crypto world will <laughs> argue that who's policing traditional finance right we talk about money laundering and scams yep. and in- they'll be right about that too yes yeah, so lots of things you know, are true I, I understand what they're saying the regulators don't necessarily do a good job policing the existing system and the crypto companies would argue that they want in because they also, again, there's different degrees of this, right? Um, there is Terra USD, there is Tether, there is Circle. 
Um, and I think they welcome, at least the better ones, welcome regulation yeah. so that at least they have that stamp yeah. of approval. Um, stuff's going to get through, of course, like I it just, does in the traditional system. I hate this argument that like everybody else is committing crimes. So why don't we get rid of the cops and the justice system? It's like, well, okay, not, not fair know, I, I feel not like the crypto either. people are not sincere in this they're like no, no, oh no. you know so, the go- why should the government get to decide it's like because people okay. deserve some level of protection no, because maybe it's more efficient I'll t- i'm canadian as you know yeah. jason molly maybe you don't know I um i have to transfer money from canada to the u.s on occasion why does this take Freaking me nightmare. two days why do i have to pay a big fee to a bank it is it's been five years of this and it just continues to I continue to be flabbergasted over how inefficient and mm. terrible the system is. Yes, crypto does promise to solve that if the regulators could get their act together or whatever, if the banks want to do it, fine. But that is the technological promise that I do think um, is worth something. Yes, and I should agree be with you. In. That is yeah, super that's valuable. The and that of it, will, yeah. when you, if you strip it down to the simplicity of that, and then you try to understand Jack Dorsey saying like Bitcoin could bring about world peace. It's because there will in there could in fact be a, a truly equitable access to currency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which exactly. is the exact same argument as communism, right? Mm. And once you get people and their motivations and their greed and their ability to manipulate existing, you know, new technology to their own advantage, then mm. you have to put into place rules and you have to create centralization because at scale. As soon as humans come in, that whole dream falls apart. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It is. It's, uh, it is about access. Molly, bang on. I like that. Yeah. I mean, it I, really I do, is about access. I, I do like, I mean, I'm I bought not Bitcoin on that promise. My money. We're thinking about people in, in yeah. not developed countries that need this. I, way I can more appreciate that. Any of us. Yeah. Reparations and people who are unbanked, but have mobile phones. Exactly. Like there is, I mean, that is yeah. the promise that I put my own teeny amount of money into Bitcoin on. Because it's like that is truly transformative. But what happened is it became too good of a store of value. And then everything got financialized around it. We created all these sketchy financial tools around it. I agree with that. Those poor truckers, those poor Nazi truckers in Canada couldn't get their Bitcoin. Wow. Uh, just, I'm, wow. I, I, that was just a little poke. Sorry. I, 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 she's from Canada. You're triggered by it. I had no choice but to go there. No yeah. choice. He had no choice. Well, no, there are pros and cons to all of this. Like you think about the freedom of money and, you know, no KYC and no fees and then the fluidity of it. And, you know, if, if there are some that are anonymous and you really have to think this experiment through, it goes back to the censorship one in the open, mm-hmm. uh, which I wanted to double click on before the open version of, of Twitter, the open version of Facebook. Okay. Now you got an open version. Okay, now Alex Jones is torturing the poor parents of the, you know, the the, the um, kids in, um, remind me of the... Um, Sandy Hook. Sandy Hook kids, these poor parents, right? And okay, oh, now it's a decentralized version. He says even more outrageous stuff that it's a false flag and these parents' kids aren't dead and they're actors. Mm. And there's nobody to stop them because there's no centralization and it trends even more. Yeah. And these crazy people are like, I need to give Alex Jones money because he's saving America from the Pizzagate, you know, Clintons and all this aliens and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, now nobody can stop this maniac. And what, who does he go after after the Sandy Hook parents? And then who has people on their doorstep? Because now he's got, he's trending on the decentralized social network that nobody controls. But, but hold on, hold on. If you don't let this guy speak, we're going really deep now. 
if you don't let this guy speak, people are going to think there's some conspiracy. At least the craziness is out there on display, right? If you don't see that at all, and I think this is probably like Elon Musk's argument, right? You build it up. You're not actually creating any discussion. It's like the whole Mm. question of should Donald Trump be back allowed on Twitter, right? There may be a part of the population that thinks it's being hidden from them. There's a conspiracy that is hiding what he's saying from yeah, them. 70, mil- 70, million, get- 70 million people probably believe that, Deidre. You right, know, like who voted for him. To have yeah. that craziness on display and let people make up their minds. I, I, I don't know. I'm not saying I think one way or it's the a other. But challenge of our era. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's it, the problem with the, you know, I think Alex Jones is just such a great example. Molly and I talk about him all the time because if you take the legal approach, like breaking the law, you know, he is now being sued into oblivion. That took seven or eight years on a private company, in a private company, whether it's YouTube or Twitter or Facebook, you can say, you know what? Not for me. I'm the CEO. I own this. I just don't want to be party to somebody saying something so offensive uh, and hurtful to parents going through the most painful thing any human can suffer, the death of a child. And I just choose not to have that on my platform. And, you know, I choose not to let people send anonymous money to this person. Whereas with President Trump, you know, it's like, well, some number of people voted for him. You know, he hasn't been convicted of January 6th yet. Maybe he'll get sanctioned for it. it it's a really difficult, I call it like the modern trolley car problem. Everybody's yeah. aware of the trolley car problem where it's like these great philosophical problems. I like something in between what happened um, and the open anybody can do whatever they want which now is you're sounding like a tech ceo jason i know i like the time-based ones it's ph- yeah. philosophical they want somewhere in the middle but then that ends up being no policy at all this is why it's so hard yeah. and this is why it's yeah. so polarizing because you cannot have that middle ground at some point you're gonna have to make those tough decisions the reason you can't have that middle ground is because what it leads to is effectively the long history of no rules that allowed for algorithmic amplification that started to financially incentivize more and more and more extreme speech so Mm. that you got to a point where you had, you know, we all act like Trump came along before these platforms were toxic and had a moderation problem. They had it all along and they had it because they were trying to find this middle ground, but also make money by amplifying certain kinds of speech and allowing for the monetization of that speech. And so then once you got to the point where it was like, oh my God, this guy is tearing down to my, he's like, literally he personally responsible his account is responsible for like at one point 80 percent of the misinformation that was on the web coming from Mm -hmm. this one account because of this attempt to have this middle ground the whole time like you can't i don't i just don't think you can have this argument without the context of all of the kind of failures of moderation that happened that got us to the trump nuclear bomb what are the things deirdre that you would improve because i think this is where like we all talk about Okay, chaos and, you know, just anything goes. We probably don't want that. I uh, Secret people putting their thumbs on things and shadow banning people. I think a lot of people would agree, like, we don't want that. So on a practical basis, two or three things you would do, and then we just go around the horn, to make it feel, uh, or to trend it towards, you know, what's good for society and what you think is good for society. Do you have this like two is, or three suggestions? Honestly, I no, them. this is too hard of a question for me. <laughs> I, I, this, is, this is not my job. I do not know because... You say you want one thing and then you give up another. I really feel for the people that have to do this from the CEOs to the regulators. I do not know what the answer is. The question of free speech is an age old question. I do not know because, and I, and I'm not even prepared to say one thing that I want. Like I said, 
You may mm-hmm. give up something mm-hmm. else down the road. Um, personally, though, I, I do like to see everything. So I don't know. But again, you bring up the example of Sandy Hook. Do I want parents to have to relive trauma? Absolutely not. Will I give up some of my views, what I see for that parent? Yes. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. How do you decide that on an individual basis? Yeah. I think, I mean, I think you raised the key point, which is that it's really hard. And anybody who thinks it's easy, including, you know, he, he Elon, <laughs> including the elephant in the room, Elon. Like, I don't think he thinks it's, it's easy. Not. He does. He doesn't think it's easy. He, he thinks it's complex, but um, I think he thinks there's something different to be done. I, I have actually a couple of feelings on it. I think the first step is to stop talking about the polarized views of this and to just start going full transparency case by case. Um, and that would at least give us a framework. So with Trump or with Sandy Hook, we never got to see what was happening. I, I would like to have a log file of all the actions taken. If you look at what, what Facebook did, a really interesting thing, they, after, the, um, after the advertising thing, there was an advertising thing. They said, here's the Facebook ad manager. So there's a thing called Facebook li- ad library, and you can see every ad. So they just played it transparent. I'd like to see every um account that was and i'd like all the academics to have access to it every account that was turned off every action that was taken categorized and just let those academics or individuals say hey here's the moderation actions going on and here's how the decisions were made let's have a discussion about it i think that would be a good first step that does we also don't know. assume that there was decision right like we also don't I don't think we should safely assume there was moderation decisions happening all along, right? Like one of the big knocks on of Trump course. was that he had violated the terms of service over and over and over. Yeah. And it wasn't until the 37th yeah, really please. egregious time that Twitter was like, okay, we have a rule now. And our rule is if you're newsworthy, we don't, right? Like you can't really be transparent about a system if that system doesn't exist. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's why it should be transparent because then you'd say, okay, you're not even making a decision here. There's no right. decision being made. And then in some right. cases, People are like, yeah, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if ivermectin works or not, and they're like, ban your account, and you're like, I, I, I didn't say I'm pro or not. I just said I don't know, and like people had their accounts banned for just saying the word ivermectin, and it's like, uh, okay, that doesn't work either. This, in know? terms of that transparency, we know that this is an extremely difficult, delicate topic. I don't think Zuckerberg is doing himself any favors by not talking about it, right? I mean, I asked Sundar Pichai, hey, exactly. up, what does free speech on the internet mean? He gave a very nuanced, careful answer, but that's helpful. How are you thinking about it, right? You don't need to have the answers. No one expects you to have the answers or say that you don't have free speech, but how are you thinking about it? And I think that Zuckerberg is putting him, his back against a wall by never talking about it because then everything he does, you don't understand where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They, there is a, if you guys uh, haven't seen it, there is transparencyreport.google.com and, you know, this you know, it just kind of exists in the world already uh, for search. They they just need to copy what was what's being done already um, at, for Google search, where they just like, here's the dangerous sites. Here's why we took them out of the index. Here's what governments are asking us. Here's the subpoenas we get. And they did that. So when they take stuff down, th- the government can't be like, take this down without sending them a notice. They're like, send yeah. us the notice. We're going to share the notice unless it's like, I guess there's a fin record or something where you um, can have like things taken down or do data requests without tipping your cards because that would tell the criminal like you're going after mm. them. Anyway, listen, it's over an hour with Deidre. She usually gets <laughs> 15. Messaging. So great. So great. With Debo. This is fun. This is your the best. good long form CNBC mm-hmm. is 
got to uh, give uh, Deidre a little raise here because you need your own show. Bill Simmons and a bunch of other podcast <laughs> networks now know that Debo is good in long form. You're good I in mean, long form. I'm just happy to talk to the two of you. Molly, ah. an absolute pleasure. What a delight. Mm, there it is. Let's hang out. Jake, how mm. are we friends? Are we frenemies? Of course. What, what, I, what think right. I think you're great. I think you're great. I'm just joking. Of course. You yes, know, I love course. you. We're besties. I think we're besties after this. We are. So anyways, we'll see you on Tech Check soon. All yes, is, I'll come out soon. Give you a hard time. Just kidding. I love it. I love it. Let's go on. <laughs> Let's do it. I want to talk. I want to talk about Uber. I want to I want to come on and talk about like the, this tipping point for Uber. So maybe Let's after all in summit, I'll come on and we'll, we'll talk about the chances of profitability in the super. Maybe, you know, share the super app conversation we had here, which I think is a super yeah. interesting one that people aren't talking about. Thank All you right. both so much for having me. Thank, Thank you. Thanks, Deirdre. Make sure you upload that audio file for us. Cheers. Take care. Bye.